So here it is. In this episode, talking about something that's near and dear to all of our hearts, and it sounds like this. Were you at a nuclear power plant facility? <laughs> Perhaps. Are you, you irradiated right now? <laughs> <laughs> yep. They've been spraying me down for days. Yeah. Hello and welcome to episode one of a podcast focused on the user experience. In each of these episodes, we plan to explore the things we all use every day. What makes these things great? What makes the experience awful? And is there anything that we could glean from these experiences to make better experiences tomorrow? Today, we're here with our engineer, Paul. Hey, I'm Paul. Rob, our resident user advocate. Hello, everyone. And my name is Roman. So in this episode, you guessed it, we're talking about credit card processing terminals. And as always, we're interested in what real users have to say. So we hit the streets, and this is what you told us. Every reader seems to be different. Because sometimes they ask you if you want cash back, sometimes they don't ask you. Visa debit or U.S. debit? And I don't know what that means. And the order is always different. And then the transaction won't go through. And they say, oh, you should have picked the other one, I guess. And then we do it again. Right now, every place has a different reader. They all look sketchy. It just, it's too confusing. I'll put in my chip, recard the chip reader, most of the machines don't even take a chip. They taped it off. So you got to put in your PIN code, and then you got to know if you got cash back. Then it's going to ask you if you want to do something else. And I hate it when they make me sign my signature. Who looks at those? Right. Why do I have to sign on the paper? No one. That's, that's going straight in the trash. Today, I went to a store to buy something with my American Express. The chip reader didn't work, and then I had to slide it. Hmm. But the chip reader usually does work. They need to, what do they call that? Make it more universal, make it more consistent. I used Apple Pay. I like Apple Pay. I like the simplicity of it. Have I used it at a retailer? No. And it's like every place has their own thing. Yeah. It's different everywhere you go. I wish there was a standardized way of doing this because I don't know what I'm supposed to push. I just want to pay for my food and leave. Okay, fantastic. So lots to digest there, but a real emphasis on consistency, right? Um, we reached out on Twitter and several of you hit us back with similar thoughts. Marble Fawn says, having to sign your name is a total joke. Nobody checks the signature. Why is that still a thing? What do you guys think? I'll take a stab at trying to, trying to explain that. You want to start the timer? Cause... Oh yeah, and we should mention that. We don't want to put you to sleep. So we're going to try to keep each response down to a minute on the timer. <laughs> no sleeping. Bobby, <laughs> one minute. Why do they sometimes require a signature? Go. Okay. So every time you buy something and you have to sign on the dotted line, you're entering into a contract. And the contract is basically a way that the, the credit card merchant can prove that you agreed to pay this money for whatever you're buying. You got to understand that there's a 50-50 shot that if someone disputes the transaction that they actually did swipe that card, that it wasn't stolen. So they are basically covering themselves in, in the event somebody disputes something. So that's not really going away anytime soon because that is that is a, a, a way that credit card companies protect themselves. Good news is if usually under $50 or something, you don't always have to sign. If you're pairing a, a chip with a, with a card or pairing a chip with a pin, 
then you usually don't have to sign at all. Oh. Oh. Sleep. Get the gist. <laughs> right? Okay, sweet. That makes sense? I got. Yeah. Yes. That makes great sense. Except for the fact that it, I don't know how to turn this cricket sound off. <laughs> it it stop. <laughs> oh, oh. Um, yeah, but okay. We understand why they want why they want you to sign. We understand that there's repercussions for for fraud. I mean, you can write anything you want in that box. I never sign my signature. I deliberately just like scribble on there. Does that hold up in any way, any legal, meaningful way? It does seem it does seem like a strange thing to force everyone to do. The case where you actually would need that is such a strange uh, edge case. And they, what is a real scenario where one of us is in court because a purchase we made or someone made is being disputed? I mean, one in a one in five million. I don't know. Yeah. If ever like really ever. Uh, it would have to be a huge. It would have to be worth it for them to pay their lawyer, right? Uh, and then pay the court fees. I mean, and and you can see why why it's forced people to try to find a different way to pay for your stuff. And that's why we have the EMV stuff. That's why we have debit pin numbers, things like that. It's why we have PayPal because because these are problems that people have been trying to solve. But there still is that compliance issue where you're trying to, to do as much as you can to to prevent fraud, to prevent somebody from from agreeing in your name to pay for stuff. There's also still this idea that when you go into a physical store and you swipe your card and you've signed the back of it in that little plastic white strip on the back, um, you could you could potentially have the cashier compare the signatures. But nobody does that. Yeah. Nobody does that. Never experienced that. So bottom line, it's... Sign on it. It's a safety. It's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> bottom line is, just sign your name and shut up. <laughs> no, the bottom line is, it's it's a safety precaution to avoid additional fees for the merchant. But is it effective? Probably not. Probably not. Maybe the threshold, the threshold where you have to sign should be maybe a lot greater than $50, right? It should be like $1,000 because why would anyone ever contest anything less than that, right? And then it should be some sort of biometric scanner, the blood sample. And blood sample. Yes. That's, that, that's prick, my vote right there. Prick my finger. And <laughs> prick check my, my finger. blood sugar while you're at it. <laughs> $1,000, prick my finger. <laughs> exactly. But that's why we have stuff like we have touch ID and face ID you use to validate on your phone. That's what, I mean, that's how Apple pay works, right? It's all trying to, to smooth all that out. Um, try to make the transaction as easy as possible while still maintaining, while still maintaining that validity of the transaction that you authorized your money to pay for that box of Tic Tacs or something. Okay. So that said, you bring up mobile payments. Let's just skip to that card. Okay. Because, you're right. Like mobile payments solve that issue, right? Like all the validation is done on your personal mobile device. If you have access to it with your biometric scan, with your thumb scan, your iris scan, whatever your phone claims to do, that's all taken care of. So now we don't need any signatures. We don't need any uh, paper or anything. Um, why isn't mobile payment sweet? Jared Livingston tweeted, having to use physical cards is something he would change. Apple Pay doesn't cut it. It's not ubiquitous. Samsung Pay is 
is as close as I've seen, but it does not work 100%. So why aren't we all just using mobile payments for everything? You're in that clip. I love when, what did you say? You said, what do you think of, of mobile <laughs> payments? She's like, Oh, I love them. They're great. Never. Do you ever use them? No, never <laughs> use them. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, why aren't mobile payments sweet? Go. Yeah. I think, I think this comes down to the fact is they are sweet, right? They are, it is better, but the stars have to align in such a way for it to be a great experience that it's not there yet. And a Jared, uh, Jared Livingston there, you know, kind of nails it on the head. It's not ubiquitous enough. There's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that have to line up. So a merchant has to have it. Then you have to have it set up on your phone and the merchant has to have people trained to know how to use it. All these variables have to line up and it's not your standard thing that you're used to using you're used to like we're used to in america using a plastic card that you swipe or now you use this chip card thing there's a i think a real problem with adoption because of the barrier to entry for a lot of people to to me that seems like the the real reason why it's not sweet yet is because it's still a baby oh nailed it oh man how do you do that were you like looking at my (laughs) screen that's amazing i was buying time I've tried to use mobile payments probably half a dozen times. I've set it up on every phone that I've had in the last couple of years, and I've tried to use it many times. It has never worked for me once, even with retailers that say their machine works with it. Do either of you guys use it? Yeah, I have. You have? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But you don't regularly use it. Well, I mean, it's it's the adoption rate, right? I mean, you have to have a merchant who supports it so that you can actually do it. And so what you end up doing is this weird dance of like, oh, you have Apple Pay, sweet. And then they're like, oh, no one's ever used this yet. So let's see how this works. And you're kind of like, the, you're the guinea pig where you're like the first person to do it. But when it does, when it is at a place that's familiar, the, mo- the best experience I've had with it is usually at like a Walgreens. Uh, Walgreens has Apple Pay in all their stores. And you don't, you don't have to do anything, right? Like you just, the, they check out your stuff. You hold your phone locked and screen off over this payments device. The NFC uh, near field communication thing pulls up your wallet and shows you your preferred payment method, touch ID, and you're done. I mean, you, you don't, your actual interaction is phone to, to, to scanner, finger on touch ID reader, and you're done. And then... But you forgot about the other hand, which is wrapped around the malt liquor bottle. Exactly. There's yeah, always a malt right. liquor. That's the thing that you're purchasing. And then you're that's the, the real advancement is yeah. that you can do it one handed. Yeah. Mm. Instead of having to hold your wallet and then pull the card out with the other hand, you can now keep your fist clenched around your malt liquor with your left hand <laughs> and just use your right hand for all your transaction. And if you have an automatic exactly. door going out of the store, oh man. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. We're not win, animals, win, right? Win, win. We're yeah. not animals. I need a malt liquor in my left and my Apple Pay and my right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do. Mm. I all too well. <laughs> so that could lead us, I guess, to like because we're talking about standardization. It's not ubiquitous. It's not. Um, we can't expect it at every place. Why? Are, why isn't stuff the same everywhere? Justin OS tweeted one thing he would like to see differently about POS systems is standardization. He says, I'm sick of having a new machine at every store 
I go to, it's ridiculous. And we heard that echoed by some of our voice interviews too, right? So the question is, why are companies like Square and PayPal able to make better experiences affordable for small businesses? All right, you ready? Three, two, one. Okay, so from what I can understand, there are different types of systems for different types of businesses. So the large buckets are that there's what's called flat rate pricing, and that's your Square, that's your PayPal. Results are very consistent, how much you have to pay for each transaction. The second, though, is interchange plus pricing, and that actually gets more affordable the more transactions you make. So if you're a larger corporation and you make, or a larger small business, I guess, and you make more than $17,500 a month, $17,500 a month is what one blog reported, this is actually a more economic option for you. And then the third, there's tiered pricing for even larger corporations. There's a difference between a POS system, a point of sale system, and a credit card machine. Some of these POS systems that are in that higher bracket offer more services that you might need. Oh. That's it. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Nailed it. So that's that's really the that's really the thing, right? Is that uh, Square and PayPal are much simpler systems because they're not offering as much as many features and POS systems have been around for a long time and they offer all kinds of explicit features for merchants and restaurants and all these various things. Right. Yeah. So maybe it's just a matter of time, right? Um, Square and some of the PayPal, some of these services are growing every day. They add more features to their systems. Maybe it's just a matter of time before they grow to be, a better competitor and there hasn't been much competition in that space for a long time. Maybe this will push everyone to get a little better. Maybe the lines will be blurred. Like Square will be an equal equal option for larger corporations in time. They could call it like isosceles. Oh. Yes. Yeah, trapezoid. <laughs> exactly. Parallelogram. That's probably where they're going. Yeah. At Square, free ideas. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Fair. Yeah, I think I think though that there's probably different markets there, right? Obviously, these POS POS systems are I feel weird saying POS because it feels like a euphemism, <laughs> but um, and since they exactly. identify pretty closely with the euphemism, I think that's probably accurate. But um, like, there these are way different markets. Square is probably I I would doubt that Square is even edging up on that market of, of these large POS terminal systems where they're doing millions of tra- millions of dollars of transactions a day. Right. It's just that every time you go, it, the, the puzzling thing is that every time you go to a coffee shop and they swivel their little iPad stand around and you don't even have to think about tip and you just put, pick an option and sign with your finger. It's just such a joy to use compared to going to Walmart or Target and using this terminal and there's all this like cumbersome crap like it's just strange that a little coffee shop can afford a better experience than this larger corporation i think that's the the puzzling thing right like how do we get that experience to these big box stores one's a good experience for the customer and the other is a good experience or at least offers the options that the retailer or merchant wants right that's really the difference the the coffee shop's not gonna they're not gonna like look at their you know all the the data at the end of the month that they have, they're only going to get a few things. We took in this much money and we paid this much money and 
uh, credit card processing fees or whatever. I think that's probably where the real difference is, is the, the experience for the merchant is better with a POS terminal. Fair. Like, okay. you, you think about it, like a, a little coffee shop, single owner, one location, they can afford a hire to, to pay a little bit more money per transaction or, or their processing fees or whatever. And they can afford to once every three years upgrade their their terminal, their their POS experience. But like these big corporations, they they can't they can't afford to plug in different um, processing providers in thirty thousand locations. Like they have to get one. They have to it has to be a one shot deal. Like here's your provider. Here's your other big corporation who's a your merchant services provider, uh, and then you got to roll it out. To all of your stores so it's all the same so that you make the most money it's it really is it really is about scale at that point you could probably go buy thirty thousand ipads and and sign up for a square there's probably some big deal to be made there in the future um to to bring that same to bring that same experience everywhere but it's just at, at that massive scale that's that is a that's a hard technical problem to implement okay yeah well that's that's kind of interesting too though you know walmart or target they have what a line of cashiers of what 30 with regards to like all these you know maybe if someone was to get on board with you know putting a nice square terminal at every cashier maybe they don't need 30 maybe they only need 10 because they can do you know they can get more people through there quicker because there it's a much more efficient process and and everyone everyone wins because the cashier understands it better and the user understands it better and they get all this information from the terminals you almost need square to partner with one of these pos screen uh services to make it to make it work right so it sounds like what you're saying is that there's room there for these big companies to provide a better software experience, a better hardware experience, because that will oil the gears of progress, right? Mm-hmm. What is the cost to update all these machines, these POS terminals, et cetera, and the network? What, you know, like putting that together, like you're saying the iPads that Square or PayPal might need might, might be costly, What's what's the alternative? Okay, dibs on this. I'll take this one. Ready and wait. What is the cost to update these machines and networks? Go. I mean, if you're looking for a number, you're not going to get it because it's going to depend on the... It's going to depend on your business location. It's going to depend on what your product is. At the end of the day, though... If you are a large corporation, you are looking into to rolling out a new like a new line of POS terminals and you're shopping around, you're looking for providers, you are going to have to go with the best price for your business and and you're going to have to convince the board of directors to invest this money and you got to get it right the first time because if you don't get it right, if you don't pick the right one, you could lose profits. Right. So evaluating the cost is going to depend a lot on probably a custom solution for your business on the software end of things. And uh, the hardware is really just about supporting that need. So cost to update things is in the software. Wouldn't you want hardware that's updatable? 
we have like, um, you know, a case where a lot of times you go to the store and everyone has very similar terminals with these buttons, but they don't match their particular needs. So there's parts of it that's like taped off and parts of it that's like, like sharpied over and like, post-it notes on there that say like don't do what you're seeing here on this terminal do something else <laughs> um maybe we could jump to that question too while we have you what yeah why doesn't everyone just use touch screens then that we could update with software go the question is what's the cost comparison using touchscreen devices versus physical buttons so yeah you do have a huge benefit right there being able to update the software on the touchscreen. But the problem with that is that there is a large difference between the cost of, of good touchscreens that aren't going to end up shattered or dented or bleeding liquid crystal all over the place because, like, you know, my mom, like, stabbed it with her pen, like, trying to get the, mm. you know, the, like, if, if if your risk to your machines is is high because it's a fragile machine, that's, that's not going to work because then you're going to be out of time or <laughs> thinking about time you're going to be out of uh you're going to be out of a, a point of sale terminal because somebody broke it so um the durability factor is there um is the cost benefit there for updating being able to update your ui on the fly i don't know i feel like you should have gotten more time because we sprung that on you okay. um <laughs> But that's a good point, but right? Up. <laughs> no, that's a really good point, though, about durability. So, what you're, I mean, are you saying then that, like, because at a coffee shop, they have it like behind the counter essentially, and then they swivel it towards you, and you just touch it for like one very monitored moment. Whereas at the store, at a, like a Walmart or something, you've got like just screaming children that are like beating that terminal with bats and whatever. And you're saying right. like that's, that that's maybe a concern maybe so i mean i mean i have haven't you ever seen like a, a a terminal that has like this like divot like this trench drawn into it of like various people's signatures it's all scratched up and stuff because of the stylus thing if you have a higher end touchscreen you don't even need a stylus you're just using your finger to swipe it so right so really the maintenance part of it could be covered by just putting like a you know an anti fingerprint cover over it or something you know but yeah you're right there there is a there is an element of um you're removing the danger by by putting it under the charge of the cashier more often than not i think visibility too of just like what what uh payment options are available to you you know on these screens whether it's physical or touchscreen you know does it really need to be a big touchscreen i mean what are you what are you doing on this screen Right. Like mm -hmm. maybe, maybe it's being thought of as too complex. Does it need a screen? Right. Like there's, there's, it's kind of a strange, it's kind of a strange thing, a strange device to just like have there sitting there. Right. Yeah. So we, a lot, I was surprised when we, when we discussed this, this topic, I thought we were initially going to just, just be t focusing on the difference between chip and swipe. But People like a lot of their concerns were around credit or debit options and how annoying that is mm. or U.S. debit versus uh, visa debit or, you know, all these different 
options that that come up and relating to the topic at hand these physical terminals just have like a red and a green button and then a bunch of numbers and then a bunch of unlabeled black buttons on the side right and so it's up to the vendor to sort of like appropriate that and say like put a post-it next to there and say this is for that this is for this it's very confusing and so the question was asked is are those explicit options for debit or credit really even necessary at kmunsi tweeted consistency of user experience is what he would like to see he's sick of seeing press enter when there is only a green button also stop defaulting to debit so the thing about these about your credit card is that the first six digits are what's called the issuer identification number and they tell you a lot about the account um just by those first six digits. So it's like binlist.net. You can put your uh, card number in there and it'll tell you like who's issuing bank, whether it's credit or debit, which kind of makes me think that they don't need to ask you. I mean, there should be a programmatic way of knowing whether or not it's credit or debit. Some So sometimes you, it depends on the, it depends on the bank and depends on the merchant processing provider. Those, those two entities might not necessarily be the same. So you might say, okay, this is actually privileged information for my user. So the, the processor might not be privy to that information necessarily. Could be one reason that, that I, I'm thinking of, of why you need to give them the choice. But I think that the, the choice does kind of need to be there for the user. Um, <clears throat> although I really like the idea of having your preferred payment method be determined by the owner of the account. So what if uh, I, I know that I want to use my bank account to pay for something the way that I do that is with my credit slash debit card slash check card. But what if there is a way where I was able, I was able to say, I want to be able to always pay with debit or I want to be able to always pay with credit. Is there some way that, that we can we can give that control to the owner of the actual bank account with the actual money that they're using to pay for their actual malt liquor? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. What if your account, your um, profile associated with your credit card meant something at all? or had some power on any level at all that would be valuable like a base a base set of default things that that would be on by default and then you could just you could just select for yourself like what what you want it to you default to always debit and i never want to sign for anything fraudulent charges be damned right kind of thing yeah yeah yeah, I never not, want right? cash back. I never want, yeah. Yeah, so you put your card in without answering any questions, pings your profile and says, okay, this guy wants to use it as debit. He wants. He does not want cash back. He, you know, blah, 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 and you're out of there. Yeah, I can already hear, hear, already hear a whole room full of financial institution business analysts being like, well, we can't support that on our back end with this and that and X, Y, and Z. That is a problem Is is um is getting past that legacy infrastructure server costs like bandwidth stuff oh it's just it's just how this old code this old code that's been running these financial institutions for years so there is that there is that cost too to replacing it it's it's really one of the biggest things that that holds advancement back in, in the world of finance 
is legacy systems. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe that could lead us into one more legacy system. One final gripe we heard a lot. Colin Harrington says, I want all of the receipt data with 100% less paper and not through some crappy bank system site. Why, why do we still use paper? Yeah, I mean, I can I can try and take this one. Are you time, timing me? Okay, yeah. So, I mean, I I think that there are some decent options for this uh, right now, actually. Uh, but it, it all comes back to the consistency across merchants and their decision to print receipts of various types or decide to email you or whatever. But to answer Colin. You know, it's it's really something that you can choose to do. There there are several services that you can you can use, uh, like Mint and um, uh, even different bank banking options. Like Simple have some pretty great options to let you connect various types of payment to uh, an account. They will filter and sift out all of your your payments on different types of things and show you all the information in a way that makes sense that you can make actionable decisions on. Like I spent way too much money on alcohol. Those kinds of things. <laughs> that's, that's a great way to end that thought. <laughs> You're um, welcome. Yeah, no, that's true. There are like great systems out there. I, you know, the use of paper receipts is archaic as it is. Like some people just, it's more of a convenience thing, right? Like people, some people really still rely on paper receipts to, mm-hmm. for whatever their co- corporate policies are on writing off things or be, being reimbursed for things or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what UX principles are involved here. Someone uh, DM'd me on on Twitter about uh, suggesting that we talk about Tufts design principles. Someone want to time me on this? Because this could get boring real quick. Yep, I got you. Ready? Okay. <laughs> and go. Edward Rolf Tuft is a Ameri- an American statistician, and he has a lot of great ideas on how data visualization can improve. He has a few principles that relate to this this concept that this tweet um, suggests, right? One is that we should maximize data to ink ratios. That is, how much stuff are you showing and how much data is that stuff conveying? So in the case of a credit card machine, we have so many buttons that aren't being utilized ever. We need to get rid of those buttons is one of his principles. Second, avoid separate legends or keys. That's something that's very important to Tuft. Just have stuff labeled directly. On on a credit card machine, we're solving that currently with those post-it notes. What he what he would suggest if he was designing a credit card machine is likely that we actually just label stuff on the credit card machine as it needs to be, or do as many suggest and make it a touch screen and label things appropriately per action. Get rid of all the extra stuff. Thirdly, data should have a narrative quality, that it should tell a story. And that's what we've been talking about a lot with how this process is very linear. So why should we ask Visa or debit first and then put the card in and then ask for cash back and all this stuff? There's a story to be told in any transaction. If we could outline what that story is, then we could cut out some of those extra options, right? One decision could lead to the next and that would be a good user experience. And lastly, he's saying use balance, proportion, and a sense of relevant scale and complexity of detail to visually prioritize elements. 
We do that a little bit with credit card machines. We have two big buttons that are either red or green, and a lot of times that'll help us to decide what, you know, what positive or negative action to take, but we could do better. There's still so many options on the, on this interface, and I think we've all been confused by that screen that, that says, you know, put your chip card in, and now, now leave it in. Oh, still leave it in. Hey, leave it in. Take it out, right? Like we we don't we don't need that. We could um, probably prioritize those options a little bit better and uh, create a better narrative. So those were some great suggestions by Tuft. No doubt, those are good. Okay, okay cool. Good. Yeah. I approve. So moving on, are there other countries that are solving this problem already, um, or that have great ideas, or that we could learn from their principles? Yeah, absolutely. Let me uh, let me let me take a stab at this one. So. Um, are you gonna, are you gonna time me? Oh yeah. Okay. I got you. Hold on. Okay. Good. Go. Yeah. Um, specifically China is probably the most interesting in how they deal with this, this, um, payment situation because they've completely leapfrogged everybody in their approach to how payments are done. And no one uses, or a lot of people don't, uh, do not use cash and do not use physical credit cards. Most payments are being made through third-party applications like WeChat uh, that allow people to scan a QR code and immediately they make a, a connection to that person or that vendor, uh, that person's account, and they give them some amount of money for whatever type of service they offer. Even homeless people, like beggars on the side of the road and musicians, street musicians and things just have a QR code next to their their booth and they're literally people you can walk by and you can scan that thing and and give them money. And so they're completely leapfrogging even like homeless people with a hat on the ground and have gone yeah. to using this this QR system that you know, even though QR codes are upsetting to Amazing look at. Amazing. Beautiful. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, elegant, the elegance of that solution is really interesting because the cost or the barrier to entry to that is literally like a piece of paper with a, a code on it. And so a merchant doesn't need to spend all his money on all these POS, POS systems. They can just print up a board and then you're good to go. So it's kind of an interesting approach, I thought. Cool. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of things. Maybe with our last few minutes, we could talk about what we think could be done differently today. Just do a quick lightning round, and each of you got to blurt out in a couple sentences what you think you'd like to see different in credit card processing or transaction UX in the next few years. Who wants to start? I'll, I'll go. All right, Paul. I'm raising my hand. Go. Okay, take a cue from China. Take a cue from from Starbucks, who kind of takes the uh, the cue from China, but in reverse. Here's my QR code. Take my money. Something like that. But then also work that into the needs of your business based on your customers. Provide a custom solution for your needs. If you're a smaller company, go with something like Square. Go with something like QuickBooks. Get something that works for you. That gives you the control. That is low cost. Just do it. Nike. <laughs> Just do it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's like, do we need a, a minute for that one? I don't know. But nah. fair. Okay, so. I can go next. Good thoughts. All right, you go. Yeah. 
So I think I think for for me, I love to see consistency of ways that you let a user know what's available to them to pay with. Don't have a machine that, that supports a thing and you choose not to support it. Can we just support all the different methods and make it very clear which of those methods is available to a user? Beyond that, I think just probably to make that happen, you would need some sort of, there needs to be some sort of like consortium that decides for everyone a single standard, even if it's convoluted, that sets a standard for how this stuff should be done. In the same way that they do for emoji and all these other things, you can you can brand it however you like, but you have to follow these steps. You have to say, this is what, what your transaction looks like. If there's just consistency, I think that would improve the situation for everyone. I think I'm gonna put my chips in the mobile payment system. I'd like to see that uh, supported. We've already got these great screens in our pockets that we're updating every couple of years. There's no hardware, not no hardware, but very little hardware updating that needs to happen on a regular basis or be maintained by the merchant. Embrace what people already have in their pockets. Maybe if cost is a concern, we could explore solutions like China has with the QR code where the software takes the burden of transaction process and the merchant just has to print up a little square that's read by your camera but if that we're not comfortable or ready for that then at least some sort of nfc um, input device i think or scanning device i think that's what i would like to see in the future well remember that horrible tone that barks at you and punishes you for not removing your card on time in the terminal that we played at the outset of this episode i did notice that when compiling this episode i visited a lot of stores to try and find that sound and many of them had updated the tone to something a little bit more friendly. So I guess somebody's listening. There you go. All right, thank you. And you're welcome. That's about all we have for this episode. It's too early for us to have fact checkers, so if you disagree with anything that we said, please let us know. We're also always looking for your experiences to feature in future episodes. So if you have any ideas, hit us up. Until next time, thanks for hanging out. <laughs> have you have you noticed anything uh, positive? I've noticed that the space. chip card reading amount of time it takes has gotten quicker over over the last few months or years. So that's good. Um, I've noticed that I no longer uh, at my pharmacy have to uh, swipe my card, then enter my pin, then swipe my card again, and then enter mm. my pin again. So that's a huge mm. improvement. I only have to do that thing once. Amazing. Very nice. That's fantastic. <laughs> Can barely ask for more. All right. <laughs>